This world is plagued by chaos, harshness, and difficulty. Its unforgiving landscape hardened by sin like a barren rock lacks sympathy and love, leaving us feeling isolated, defeated, hopeless, and alone. Yet Christ has not called us out of the world, but sent us into it. Why is this? When we look closely, we can see his divine fingerprints, the very marks which allow us to look beyond the fleeting moments before us and through them to the vast expanse of eternity. It is here that we can joyfully acknowledge that every moment of our lives is significant and holds great purpose. A purpose to embody the life of Christ in every circumstance that a watching world may know Him. This is the life that shines like a light in the darkness. This is the book of Philippians. I gotta say that that's my favorite video so far of all the videos we've done of any book. That is my favorite video so far. I did not get to see that video until last weekend when I got to watch um, it unfold here in this place. And uh, so I, I, I didn't know what the uh, picture would be from our incredible uh, team of uh, artists and graphic designers and communication experts would be. And as that video unfolded before me, I thought to myself, I, I can't imagine a video, a picture that better captures what the book of Philippians will be for us than what I watched unfold in that story, that we would stare into the heart of this world, that we would experience circumstances and realities and relational dynamics that would often beg to ask the question, where is God? Where is the kingdom of heaven? Where are these things we read of? All I see is the hard, cold darkness before me. And then slowly to see that table start turning and you catch a glimmer of what's on the other side of what seems to be a dark rock and something in your mind starts going, wait, wait, what is that light? What is that light? And you want to grab that table and that rock and like turn it faster. Like the video was like, and I'm like, turn faster. Because you know something, something that you're going to see is going to bring light and life to what feels like death and darkness. And this is certainly the word of God, but it is the book of Philippians. In so many books before, we hear things like in Colossians or Romans or, or spaces all over that say, uh, set your mind on things above. Or, or, or fix your eyes on Jesus, like the author of Hebrews would say, or, or set your heart on the kingdom of God. But the book of Philippians is like a book that goes, let me set it for you. It just turns to us. And as it does, we stand and stare and go, oh, wow. This is what we're getting to enter into. This is why I'm giddy. 
about what we get to do and what we begin to do together. If you were here last week, you had the privilege of getting a good, broad, in-depth experience of the context into which this letter was being written as Paul pens this letter to the church in Philippi that he got to start and the context in which that church exists. And so if you were here last week, I got to hear Joel unpack that. You've got kind of a good broad stroke context of what the experience would have been of this church. I wonder often whenever I find myself in those contexts, what it might've been like for Paul Now, the author of this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but also bringing himself to the table, as God so beautifully allows us to do, where his heart was stirred, and why he may have begun or written or said the kinds of things he does in a letter. That always sparks my uh, wonderings, my imagination. What caused Paul to start a letter in a particular way? Or what caused Paul to say the things he did? What was going on inside Paul? What did he hear uh, in the receiving of what was going on that he would respond in a letter? And so in this space, I wonder, as I begin this letter, what it might have been like for Paul to receive that gift that the Philippians sent him and to have the opportunity to hear about how things were going in Philippi. During this time, remember that it would have been commonplace uh, for churches to uh, collect resources and then send them with a messenger for days, weeks, or months of travel to get to the place that they need to, to deliver the gift. Paul, if you remember in the book of Acts, was traveling down through Ephesus to Jerusalem on his way to Spain. And what was he carrying with him? A offering or a gift for the church in Jerusalem that was under persecution. So when they said, don't go to Jerusalem, he said, now I got to go through there because I have the offering from the churches that I've collected from to take to Jerusalem And so this would have been very common that you would have moved through. When you showed up, like in this case, where somebody sent from Philippi with a gift that was financial in its nature to come and help Paul out in his particular circumstance, when that messenger arrived, can you imagine Paul seeing somebody at the door that's traveled from Philippi, perhaps days, weeks, or months of travel, and go, oh, thank you so much. Would you tell them thanks? Have a safe trip. Can you imagine that? No, of course not, because that would never happen. In a circumstance like that, what's the first thing you would do? You would say, come on, and say, how are they? How are my friends in Philippi? They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have TikTok. They didn't have any of it. They didn't have email. There were times where months or years would go by before you've had any word whatsoever about how things are going with someone else. And you and I know that days is a lifetime sometimes. And certainly months or years, so much changes. The entire landscape of a city can change or the entire landscape of a church or a person can change. So Paul is like, tell me more. What's going on? What's happening? And that messenger to sit down and to begin to say, well, the church is doing well. It's doing really well. They're so faithful. They're staying committed. They've collected resources. But in their context, they are, they are sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, standing strong. And then to unpack, you know how complicated it is, Paul and Philippi. 
You guys remember from last week, Philippi is the city where many of the Romans, the Roman heroes would retire to. If you were incredibly faithful to Rome, if you were incredibly loyal to Rome, if you had served Rome in politics or military battles or in other services, and you'd done it for a lifetime, and it was very clear that your loyalty to Rome was absolute, you would get land in Philippi. And then you would have tax-free living in Philippi. So you are in a city that the loyalty to Rome is as deep as loyalty gets to a country or a nation. And remember, Rome's attitude was simple. Rome is the only kingdom and Caesar is the only God. This wasn't like a shared reality. I'm glad you're loyal to us. There's other nice kingdoms too. So you can imagine that being a people that were once loyal to Rome, that have come to discover a new kingdom that is bigger and higher than Rome with a new king who is bigger and higher than Caesar, that is a complicated context. And so the messenger's like, dude, it's complicated. You know. And Paul's like, he's feeling it. He's feeling it for them. And now he sits down to, to write a thank you note. But he's not just writing a thank you note about a monetary gift. He is writing a thank you note to a people that are pressing on, staying faithful, digging in. He's thanking them for being them. He's not thanking them for money. He's like, thanks for being you. Thanks for being you. I'm just so excited. This is the note that he's writing. And when Paul begins a letter, it is always telling to see how he introduces himself. And this letter is no exception. Paul, when he introduces himself in a a letter, is being extremely intentional because in the introduction, he is positioning himself into the position that is necessary for the tone of the letter that is about to unfold. So in some of the letters where Paul is going to be working through Uh, sort of an encouraging letter with a bit of exhortation, a bit of like challenge. He might introduce himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Just simply saying, when you're reading this letter, man, I'm, 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 I'm with you, but I am also called to stand in some authority over you on behalf of Christ, who, uh, whose authority I am under. And so, so, so that you will read this letter and not, for, not say, who's Paul to say this, right? If he's writing a letter that is particularly corrective and not a whole heck of a lot of encouraging, right? I mean, that's encouraging, but he's like, okay, we got to have a hard conversation. He would add something like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And you're like, okay. If you ever receive a letter from Paul, FYI, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, you should buckle up. Because Paul's trying to say, we're going to have have a little talk. It's going to be hard, but it's for your good, because I love you. And so in Philippians, Paul introduces himself as well. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians so we can spend some time in it. Paul has heard from the messenger He is writing a note of thanks for the gift and a note of thanks for what he has heard to the people. And he chooses to introduce himself, as you heard last week from Joel, Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Christ Jesus. That's the only introduction. The rest is all about, it's to you guys, blessings to you, grace and peace to you. That's how he starts. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. What did, what did Paul just do? How did Paul just position himself with the people in Philippi? Did he position himself in some form of authority over them? No. Does he have it? Certainly. Did he choose to position himself in that? No. He positions himself with them. He says, I, Paul and Timothy, who's with me, we are with you servants of Jesus. The positioning at the beginning of this letter is Paul's intent to say to the Philippians, after what I've heard is ongoing in your space, I stand with you, you stand with me. We are servants together under the same God, serving together under the same God. I, Paul and Timothy, servants with you in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful starting point. And now you're going to watch in the passage that we get to dive into today, how Paul reveals his heart for these people and his understanding of why he feels the way he does toward them that will remind us and tell us why exactly he started by saying, I'm not with you over you. I'm just with you with you. I'm just with you with you. And you're with me with me. And it's going to be awesome. So let's take a look at what unfolds. So Paul begins, and he often begins his letters, as you will see, not always, but often, with some version of a prayer early on in the letter. I'm just going to pray. I'm praying for you. I'm praying this for you. This is how I'm praying for you. And here he begins with a prayer, but not really. It's not a prayer for them. It's him telling them that he prays for them, what he prays for them, why he prays it for them before he ever actually prays anything for them. And I do love that because it's not just him saying, let me pray for you. It's him saying, can I tell you why I pray for you? I'm so excited to pray for you. That's how he's going to get started. You just feel it in every fiber of his being. Verse 3. Philippians chapter one, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So let's just, let's just stop there. Pay close attention to every little word in every sentence right now, because every word matters. Every word says something. If you leave any one of the words out, it changes the tone of the sentence. And then it changes the purpose of the sentence. So in this sentence, Paul says, I thank my God. So that's where we begin. He's thanking God. And what is he thanking God for? For them, because he's remembering them. But look at this. There's a little word. I thank my God in how much of my remembrance of you? All of it. All of it. Paul is saying to them in the introduction to this letter, when I think about you, the second I think about you, whatever it is I'm thinking about you, I'm just thankful because everything I think about you births thanksgiving in me. He could have easily said if he was mostly thankful for what they were doing or somewhat thankful or there are things he was thankful for, but things he was not, which is typically the human experience, right? I'm always simultaneously kind of like, there's some stuff I'm really grateful for with you. There's some stuff I'm not. And Paul here is saying, from what I've heard in our absence, when I remember you, think about you, or hear about you, everything I hear, I'm just like overwhelmed with gratitude. 
He could have easily written, I thank my God in my remembrance of you. Would have been a perfectly adequate sentence. I, when I remember you, I thank God. But he's like, no, 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 no. I want you to know something. Every time I think about you, in any context, in any way, all of my remembrance of you, my heart swells with gratitude. Whew. Now look at this. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. So look at what Paul is saying here. It's, it sounds redundant, but it's so important. Everything I think about when I think about you sparks uh, gratitude. And in every prayer, when I pray for you, I pray with joy. Man, God, thank you for these folks. Oh, God, thank you for what they are doing. Oh, God, you, thank you for them. Thank you for them. They're so awesome. This is Paul expressing himself to them. And then he says, because, because, hmm, love that word, because. Because what Paul is doing now is he's about to reveal to them and so God to us that he has this experience of thanksgiving and he prays with this great joy because of something. He's not simply saying it like a statement and you're sort of sitting back going, okay, I don't know, Paul. I mean, why are you so excited about us? What, what is it that makes you feel this way? He's like, I'll tell you. I'm not going to hide it from you. There is a reason I feel this way toward you. There is a reason I have gratitude toward you when I think of you. There is a reason I pray with great joy for you. And I'll tell you what it is. I do this because, we should read it, shouldn't we? <clears throat> because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Hmm. See, what, what Paul says is, listen, Philippians, Philippians, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> it's Philippians, I think. Uh, hey, people in Philippi, um, when I think of you and I think of the journey we've been on, the journey I've been on in my set of circumstances and the journey that you've been on in your set of circumstances and the way that you have consistently shared with me both of what you have for my well-being and your heart for my well-being, I think about our two unique journeys and I realize my journey is a journey in gospel work, right? I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm in where I am. I'm, I'm in prison, whatever it is, because I am doing gospel work. And as I hear about your journey in your context, what I hear is that you are doing gospel work and that your gospel work and my gospel work are both separate and yet deeply tied because of the way that it all started, but also the way it continues. You share with me some of what you have, and in so doing, you are in partnership in my gospel work as I am in your gospel work because I was there starting that church. And when I think about our gospel partnership, I am overwhelmed with gratitude that I am in a gospel work on a planet of death and somewhere else there are other humans who are also involved in this gospel work and our stories are tied together, both in real reality. You've sent me a gift. 
I started the church. You want my well-being. I want yours. But also just in the fact that God has allowed both of us to be part of a gospel work at all. I'm not alone. You're not alone. We are together. And Paul's saying, I'm kind of thrilled about that. Like, I'm just kind of thrilled about that. And I'm kind of excited about that. And I'm just filled with joy about that. And I'm so thankful about that, that we get to work for the expansion of God's kingdom, for his glory, together. Wow. And now, Paul's going to do something Paul often does. I love watching Paul's mind and the way the Spirit of God uses Paul's mind to bring about the inspiration that he wants for us to communicate his word to us. Paul's mind, it is almost as though Paul has been around the block enough with humans that every time he says something that can impact us in a way that drives us into a misguided view of what it means to be in relationship with God, he does a quick course correct, not to undo what he just said, but to balance it by saying, just don't forget something, otherwise you'll believe wrongly. So what is the propensity... When you as a human, me as a human, hear from somebody, what makes me so grateful when I think about you, what causes me such joy is how we work together in something. I always think of, you know, the sort of the race car. I don't know if you ever watch racing, especially rally racing. You have a driver and you have a navigator, right? And the driver drives the car and the navigator tells the driver where to go. They're driving so fast that if the navigator doesn't keep the driver uh, uh, well ahead of turns, the driver will not have time to react to that turn visually. So the navigator is actually reminding the driver of what he's memorized on the track. If you are a navigator and your driver's terrible, how did that feel? Why did I get him? Why does she have to be my driver? Or if your navigator's terrible and you're a great driver, how do you feel? Come on, we're in the GPS world. Why are you paging through a book? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just like, there's this sense. And what Paul's saying is, man, when I sit in the car with you and then you're doing the driving, I'm doing the navigating or vice versa, I just look over at you and I'm like, boom, so good. And our propensity can be what brings joy to each other What brings joy to God is how hard we work, how well we work on what we're working on. And what is really exciting that Paul is saying, the reason I I love you, the reason I'm joyful for you is because you work so hard and you do so well. It sounds very Western, doesn't it? Because we have a misguided uh, view that leads to a devastating theology. And this is what it leads to. Salvation by grace, but sanctification by works. That is the misguided theology that often emerges. Oh, yeah, my salvation. Obviously, that's God's work. So beautiful. But as far as it is my holiness, my faithfulness, my good and faithful servant part, my all that, that's my work. I got I to do that well. Otherwise, I'm going to get a, you can be lucky you saved because you are not faithful servant. And so we live in this. We live in this ideology and theology that says salvation by grace, 
sanctification, sanctification being the, the transformation, transformation by works. And Paul here is going, man, I'm so grateful for the work we get to do together for the kingdom of God. But now look what he does. Look what he does now. Just in case you might think the work is what the big deal is. Let's take a pause and read on. Mm. Of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he's like, okay, just in case you think that because we're working together for Jesus, I'm obsessed with working hard for Jesus. I'm actually confident that whatever good work he began in you and in me, that will allow us to work for him, that will bring us to completion, that he started it, he finishes it, and he will. And so we good. We good. And so he eliminates the natural propensity that we might have that says, once saved, my job is now to work hard for Jesus and prove to him that he, it was a good idea to save me. <laughs> I mean, like, if you, if, of, of all the humans you could have saved, I, you, I'm sure you're glad you saved me. Because, boy, I sure did a lot for you. Like, and I know, like, we don't actually, like, go there. Well, let me not say we don't go there. Yep, we do. But Paul is saying, what a joy for us to work together for the kingdom for the glory of God. What a joy that whatever work he does, whatever work he's doing in us or through us, it is his work and he is responsible for finishing it. How safe are we in this story? Saved by grace, sanctified by grace, transformed by grace, and yet called to be participants in both salvation and sanctification. Salvation because we get to bring faith to the table he authors in us, just throwing it out there. Like I've always said, he gives us the dollar to put in the plate and then he celebrates us for putting it in the plate. (laughs) Here, put this in. Well done. (laughs) And you're just like, what? Welcome to salvation. And then sanctification. Come on, jump in, work hard, learn from me, be changed, press in. I got you. I've changed everything already. The work will be completed because I'll complete it. You're safe. You're in. You're participating. You're doing it. And Paul is saying, how awesome is all that? I'm just so thrilled you're on the team with me. Double high five. Go driver. Go navigator. Woo. Okay. Now look at this. Look at this. This is incredible. So he says, for the partnership, the gospel partnership we have, I am so grateful. And I'm so grateful that he is completing the good work in you and in me. And then he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Now Paul moves from a sort of external expression of why he feels the way he does about these folks to an internal expression. He's like, certainly I am full of thanksgiving because of what you've done. 
and that we do it together. And certainly, I'm confident of a work he will do in you and me to bring it to completion. And certainly, all that brings me joy. But just in case you're missing what's in me, it is right for me to feel this way about you Not because you've done these things, not because you sent me a gift, not because everything's going well, but because I hold you in my heart. So this is a sentence we use to express to other humans a very deep, intimate, connective, positive experience we have with them. You don't use that sentence when you're trying to express, I'm watching you. Like if you're like... I hold you in my heart. And then you go home nervous, like Renault's holding me in his heart. I wonder what he's holding in his heart. Is it, is it good? Is it bad? Is he mad? Is he happy? I sleep at night. <gasps> Renault currently holds me in his heart. This is very nerve wracking. No, you're like, we laugh because we're like, no, no, that's not, that's not what that sentence means. That sentence is reserved. It's reserved for a kind of expression. That sentence is never used to express sort of policing or watching or you don't know what's in my heart, but I'm holding it. If we do that, we say things like I hold bitterness in my heart toward you. We don't say I hold you in my heart. Bitternessly. No. (laughs) So here Paul's saying, it is right for me to feel this way toward you because I hold you in my heart. Now the big question becomes, why does he hold them in his heart this way? Because he's told us why he's so thankful. He's told us why he prays with joy. But now he's saying, gosh, it's right for me because I hold you in my heart. Let's take a look because he actually tells us, watch this. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This, perhaps, is the most beautiful part of this little description that Paul is giving as to his attitude and his love toward the Philippians. He has said to them, because of what you're doing, that is a doing with me, in the same gospel mission, I feel gratitude and I feel joy. And I'm confident that your doing it and my doing it will be sustained and finished by his grace, his work. So, wow, it's right to feel this way because in my heart, I have a great love for you. I hold you in my heart. But the reason I hold you in my heart is not because of something you have done or not done. I have joy for that. I I have gratitude for that. But my heart is because of something that has been done to you that has also been done to me. And because we are both recipients and partakers in this thing that has been done, I hold you in my heart. So I can't not hold you in my heart because you can't undo the thing that was done to you, nor can I undo the thing that was done to me. So our love for each other is under the umbrella of something outside of us. And what is this thing? You are the recipient and a partaker in grace from God. 
I am a recipient and partaker in grace from God. And then he clarifies in the next sentence that this grace is both a grace toward his comfort and suffering, in other words, salvation, and a grace toward his participation, his activity. Both are an act of grace. He says, you are partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment, my suffering, my circumstances, my struggles. God is gracious toward you and I by meeting us where we need to be met. And God is gracious toward you and I by inviting us to participate in the confirmation and declaration of the gospel. In other words, being participants in the great redemptive work that he is affecting on this planet. And Paul says, what holds you in my heart is what God has done for you that he has also done for me, which puts us in the same category. And so whatever our differences, struggles, divisions, etc., yes, we will work through those because we're human. But it starts here, I hold you first in my heart. Because the second I stop holding you in my heart, I have both forgotten that we are working toward the same end as I have forgotten what we are both recipients of. Undeserved in every way, both of us. So the fact that you're in this story with me should set me right immediately in holding you in my heart. Then we'll have space to work through our stuff. I um, have this story that I have shared on multiple occasions that God gave to me in a circumstance that I get to play into. And so for some of you, as I share this story, um, it will be a bit repetitive. But I share this story with myself almost every day. So if it feels repetitive to you, just imagine the pain in which I live on the repetitive nature of this story in my head. Just kidding. This story is so deeply important to me because it shapes and measures over and over again my own personal participation in the grand story of redemption without beginning to believe that I function as one who does for God what he needs rather than God doing for me what I don't deserve. And so the story begins this way. Uh, On Saturday mornings, I have had the privilege for many years now to be afforded the opportunity to make breakfast for our family. My wife is an amazing cook, and she cooks all week long, dinners galore, amazing stuff. And now several of my kids are amazing cooks, and they share with Brooke in the creation of wonderful things. I was handed waffles, and I'm glad for it because that is the extent of my ability, skill, and gifting. And waffles can be done. I'm like, thank you. The other stuff out of my pay grade, but this, this is well placed in my pay grade, a waffle. And so now I will say, just to honor myself just a bit, the waffles are made from scratch. So they are four individual ingredients, and I have to carefully mix all four of them. And so it's not like super, super simple, like, you know, frozen waffles. So there's a (laughs) bit of skill involved. So in the years that I was um, doing the waffles, um, when my kids were littler, it's less now because they're older now. And so they're like, yeah, that's all right. Just get the waffles ready and we'll roll in. It's not always like that. But, you know, their motivation to be in the kitchen early on a Saturday morning helping me make waffles is lower. Um, when they were little, it was higher. And so they would come on a Friday night and they'd say, Dad, Dad, can I help make the waffles in the morning? Now, uh, as is typical of humans, you and I, uh, there were mixed motives. Some of them were, I'm sure, somewhere deep down, their love for their father and their desire 
desire to be in the kitchen with him. The other small motive that may have driven was that they get to pick the chocolate chips that go in the waffles if they help. And so like you and I, when God calls us into things, we can never quite tell how pure our motives are, but what a gracious father that he doesn't care and he invites us anyway. And so my kids, you know, we want to be in the kitchen. And so I would say, sure, you're welcome to help. And when I invited my younger kids at the time into the kitchen, I would realize as an adult that it was not necessarily helpful, okay? Just throwing it out there. Uh, Great heart, great desire, sometimes helpful, but randomly so. Because as they would come into the kitchen, they might engage in a very helpful day where they trust the will of their father, listen to the voice of their father, engage in following the instructions of their father, and live in a sense of obedience within the kitchen because they know that obedience isn't about a weightiness, but about an outcome of freedom for everyone. And then it would go super well. And then other days, they would ignore all or some of those realities, and it would turn into a bit of an inconvenience. And so depending on how young the kids were coming into the kitchen and how many of them would be engaged would depend on how many additional ingredients I would have to plan on having at hand and how much time I would have to allot to the finishing of this waffle work. Because uh, I wanted to make sure that no matter what, what would happen? The waffles would end up on the table, right? So when my kids came into the kitchen, let's say on some mornings, none of my kids showed up. They all said they would. They all said the night before, I'm in, but they didn't. Would the waffles end up on the table? Yes, of course, because I'm in the kitchen. And I said I'd get waffles done and they're going to get done. If my kids showed up in the kitchen on a particular day and they listened to the voice of their father, obeyed and trusted, and everything went super well, would the waffles end up on the table? Yes. If they came into the kitchen and they just did a terrible job, fought with each other, competed, judged one another, sent Facebook messages back and forth. I didn't say, I didn't say that, I'm sorry. You know, said things back, whatever, and it just didn't go so well. Would the waffles end up on the table? Yeah, they would. Strange, isn't it? That the waffles ending up at the table had nothing to do with my kids. Being in the kitchen, not being in the kitchen, behaving in the kitchen. Uh, ending up of the waffles had only to do with me. Now, When I sat down at the table, after the waffles on the table, if only I worked in the kitchen, I would say to my family, gosh, guys, I hope you enjoy the waffles. Here they are. And it'd just be a joy that I got to make waffles for my family. If the kids came in the kitchen and they did super well and they behaved well, then something would change at that table. I would say, hey, guys, big round of applause for the fill in the blank, two, three, one kids. They made the waffles today. Now, I've said this before. Did they make the waffles? Kind of. Yeah, I have a word for it. If you remember, if you've been here, nay, yes. Nay, yes, they did. Because no, they didn't, but yes, they did. Because they really, really did. They really did participate. That's the joy of it. Even though it would have been done if they hadn't showed up, by them showing up, it is done with them now. And they are part of the beauty of sharing in redemption or waffles in this case. If they came in the kitchen and they did a terrible job, just fought with each other and bickered and didn't do well, but they're in the kitchen. When I sit down, what I would do is say, hey guys, I just want you to know, uh, you can be super thankful that there's waffles on the table this morning because I worked with the most unfaithful, ungodly set of humans on the planet. (laughs) They were not good and faithful servants. They were terrible. And frankly, 
it is a miracle that I got these waffles on the table. And FYI, the people that were in the kitchen with me are these two. <laughs> Do you think that's how it went down at my table? I sure hope not. Because a good father would say, hey guys, big hand for these two. Because they bothered to show up in the kitchen and help. Didn't go so well, but I'm not going to mention that to you because that's whose business. My business with them. I dealt with that in the kitchen. I showed them in the kitchen. I worked with them in the kitchen. And if I need to work with them after the kitchen, I'll be happy to do that. All you need to know is they were in the kitchen. Well done, good and faithful servants. Okay, so that's, that's been my story. Paul just expanded it. Paul, thank you, Paul. You're awesome. Just expanded it. Because what I have come to realize as I have spent time in this passage is that it turns out, I think, that what Paul is trying to say here, again, what the Spirit of God is saying is, I am not as concerned, perhaps not even concerned, with the doing in the kitchen as far as what it produces, because I'm already going to produce what needs to be produced. I'm glad you're helping, love your helping, love your part of it. But my concern in terms of your part in the story is not what you're going to produce as far as a waffle is concerned. My concern is what it feels like to be in this kitchen. Every command given to us in scripture as a people of God starts with love each other. Support each other. Be unified with each other. Uh, one another, one another, one another, one another. They will know you by your love for each other. Now that doesn't mean we don't have hard things and it doesn't mean we pretend to love each other and ignore hard things. We need to engage in the hard and deep and terrible conversations that bring about redemption in the anger and, and, and bitterness in our hearts toward each other. But it has to start here. I have you in my heart because you are a partaker in this kitchen. You are a child of God and you have been invited to be part of this family and you're in this kitchen. And when I look over and I see you in this kitchen, I am first and foremost incredibly grateful that we're in the kitchen together. That's where my heart starts. You in the kitchen too? Thank you. I'm not alone. High five, high five. We should be standing with our father between us, like constantly trying to get around and high five each other. And then just after the high five for being in the kitchen, and doing the work together, I should find myself as I'm stirring thinking, how did I get in this kitchen? Why am I even in this kitchen? I'm like three. <laughs> I'm like three. I don't even know what sugar is yet. And then it dawns on me as I look up to my father and I'm like, oh, he let me in. And then watch now, as I look past and I see the other person, I'm like, he... He let them in too. We're both partakers in a grace undeserved. I hold you in my heart. Now I'm grateful you're in it with me. You could have slept in. <laughs> but I hold you in my heart because we are apparently both recipients of the same grace. Good works being done by the same God in us and through us for his glory and our good. And I should be able to walk over to you every day, high five you for the work in the kitchen together, and then hug you for being my brother or my sister. 
a good friend who goes to this church sends me texts on occasion to encourage me. And he sent me a text uh, this week. He has been reading the book of Philippians as he often does. Joe is always studying the book ahead of time that we are in. And he sent me this text. We're entering into a portion of God's word that truly shows us Jesus's heart for the church. While communion is done in remembrance of Jesus, we see how our prayers are being offered in remembrance of one another as within the family of Jesus Christ. What a blessing is, what a blessing to be so loved by God and so securely knitted together as followers of Jesus on mission for God's glory. Gosh, may it be so for us that we hold each other in our hearts because we are recipients of the same grace, that we celebrate each other's work because we are in the same kitchen, and that when one of us drops the bowl, instead of us looking over and going, he told you you shouldn't have let them in this kitchen, we should say, do you need a cloth? And then this kitchen will be God's will done among his people. You want to know who follows me? Watch the way they love each other. Watch the way they unite with each other, realizing they're in the same kitchen under the same father with the same undeserved grace for both. This is our privilege, our calling, our safety, his kitchen, his goodness, his glory, and his grace. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the extraordinary wonder that we get to be part of a story of salvation that we do not deserve. We deserve to be left to the end of death eternal. And yet you have seen fit to extend to us your grace because of your great love for us to rescue us from orphans to children, from not belonging to, belonging from damned to saved. And God, thank you that in addition to just that grace alone, which was more than enough, you have given us the grace of participation in both our personal transformation as well as the transformation of unredeemed spaces on this planet, that we are in your kitchen stirring up redemption, not because you need us there, but because you love having us with you. So God, teach us through this beautiful book that we are entering to look to each other the way Paul described he looked at the Philippians, holding each other in our hearts, not because we have done or not done anything, but because we are recipients of the same thing from the same God in the same undeserved way. And then may we strive together in gospel partnership for gospel mission toward seeing unredeemed things being redeemed in our generation, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our world, in our church, in our spaces. And as we do, may we look over at each other in this grand kitchen 
and sense a little bit of thanksgiving, a little bit of joy that there's someone else in this kitchen laboring alongside toward a gospel mission, playing a different part, stirring a different pot, using a different tool, but all in the same kitchen under the same father. God, help us. Help us in the midst of this kitchen to begin to look to you and say, I want to be a little more like you because, boy, this is awesome. And may the book of Philippians help us in that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.